Welcome to a special edition of Generation Justice. I'm Josh Horton. You just heard students protesting at Ithaca College. And I am Roberto Rael. Generation Justice is a multimedia movement that trains youth to harness the power of media for social change. This year, we've seen an upswell of student activism on college campuses across the country, calling out institutional racism that continues to underlie educational settings. And in many instances, university administrations have been unresponsive to student grievances of racism and microaggressions that they experience on campus. So, students have taken it into their own hands to shine light on these injustices and demand change. In the next hour, we will bring you college student activists from across the country as they share their experiences about organizing for racial equity on their campuses. In full disclosure... Some of our guests this evening are also Generation Justice members who have now become student organizers and journalists. Luna Olavaria-Gallegos, a student at the New School in New York and journalist, has researched systemic racism on college campuses. Also joining us are two student organizers from Occidental College in Los Angeles, Harika Reddy and Alma Olavaria-Gallegos. They will speak to us about the recent six-day occupation and the history of racial equity on their campus. Erica Moriarty of Ithaca College in upstate New York will discuss the protests demanding racial equity on Ithaca campus. We will also hear from UNM student Nicole Beatty, who will update us on what is being called the racial climate here at UNM. We'd like to start our discussion with Luna Olavaria Gallegos, a writer, artist, and student attending the New School in New York City. She has written and produced for outlets including Making Contact and Nonsense magazine. Luna has recently published in The Guardian on systemic racism that has spurred student activism throughout history. Luna has also been a part of Generation Justice for seven years. Welcome, Luna. Hi. Hi. We'd like to ask you to share with us what you learned conducting the research on institutional racism and student activism, and how does it look in 2015? Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I first want to say that um, I took a class um, in African diaspora last semester um, when I was actually attending it to the college. And something that I learned that really, really stuck with me was the amount of activism and organizing that's come before us on campus, like for decades that have been done, you know, ever since the first person of color stepped onto a college campus. Um, so what I really, really learned when I was noticing all of the new student protests this year were, was the fact that um, these aren't new, and, and students of color have always felt really isolated and alienated on campuses um, all across the nation. So um, when we're looking at what's happening in Mizzou and at Yale and at Ithaca and at Occidental, um, it's really important to remember that everything is connected and everything um, has is um, a manifestation of systemic violence against people of color um, in our country. So this is especially prominent um, now because we have um, a climate that tells us that we are post-racial and that everyone is welcome on campuses and everyone is welcome in all spaces um, in our country. But um, students of color, all the students of color that are on the program today, any student of color that you ask um, going to schools can attest to the fact that if we're not being taught our history in schools, if we're not being um, welcomed into different spaces at school, if we're if it's harder for us to get into school, and once we're there, it's it's we're not feeling welcome, then that's not a space that's welcoming towards us, and it's a space that's actually um, systematically discriminating against us. Um, so that's the mostly the main thing that I learned is that um, 
this these protests aren't new. They're not springing up out of nowhere. It's it's really they're not just they've just been bubbling under the surface for decades. And and this is just a new wave of of something that students of color have felt ever since we first started walking on campuses. So. Luna, can you talk to us a little bit about what were some some of maybe the particular aspects of the organizing that was happening this last year, and maybe um, some of what were some of the gains or the demands that were being asked for that were met? Yeah, so um, I think it all started in Missouri, um, and well, what the media first started focusing on was in Missouri, where students of color were really trying to... Um, advocate just to be, you know, like, respected on campus, to stop having hate crimes against them. Um, I know a lot of, I'm part of um, a multi-school collaboration effort in New York City, and we have a lot of schools, including Fordham and Hunter and Columbia, NYU, and the New School, that are all collaborating together to organize. Um, and some of the things that we're asking for is just to stop, to, to stop allowing um, other students, like white students in particular, to um, have hate crimes against students of color and have, you know, uh, racial slurs drawn on the walls and, and to stop allowing this to go on. But um, and more generally, what students have always wanted is a better representation of themselves and of faculty of color. And not only just any faculty, we want um, tenured track faculty, which is, that's, that's what's really important for people so that we can see um, professors that look like us and who are teaching our history. That's very important um, for students of color to progress. Um, and a lot of students demanded, you know, like, uh, there was a lot of demands made. Um, and some of them have been met, some of them haven't. Um, I know at the new school, something that we have been demanding is um, spaces where we can talk openly about this and, and really check teachers and have diversity trainings. And a lot of schools actually demanded that, whether or not they, the administration will go forward with these um, is a different story. And I know um, especially students at Occidental that just got a lot of demands, um, just, just made a lot of demands that were supposedly met um, can attest more to this later. Well, and I know that these, um, in order to actually have change, it really takes time. It doesn't happen Definitely. in a semester. It doesn't happen, as you've pointed out, Luna, that um, student organizing actually has been going on and uh, I, you know, I think it's probably been going on as long as there have been institutions of higher learning, that there has been some level of activism that's had to happen from people of color in order to move us even to the place that we are today. Um, so I, I want to keep you online with us, Luna, as we continue and, and we move into uh, a discussion with everyone in a little bit. So I want to thank you again for helping us to understand um, and just get a thumbnail sketch of the research that you got to do this past year. I think it's fabulous, your work, and congratulations again on being um, on, on being published in The Guardian. That's a big deal, and we're really proud of you. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you, Luna. It's important to mention that Generation Justice reached out to leaders at the University of Missouri, better known as Mizzou, whether a successful protest led to the resignation of University President Tom Wolfe and University Chancellor Lofton. However, the students of Mizzou have been really reluctant to reach out to any media at this point. And AP outlets such as the Washington Post have reported that there have been continued death threats on black students. Also, recent legislation is being drafted in the Missouri legislature that would revoke state scholarships of athletes who support any campus protests or actions 
and that any coaches or athletic staff who support student activism, they could even lose their jobs. So even though Mizzou had such a big win, um, the fight isn't over. And we respect their silence just as we respect their activism. As we continue this national discussion on student activism, we're joined today by some inspiring students and organizers from across the country who have taken courageous steps to improve racial equity on their campuses. Occidental is a small liberal arts school that sits in a suburb of Los Angeles. This fall, the college was the setting for another student-led protest of racially biased curriculum and campus microaggressions. We're joined in studio today by Harika Reddy and Alma Olavaria Gallegos, both Generation Justice members and student activists at Occidental. Welcome to the program. Um, could you tell us what happened this past semester and about the history of racial equity organizing at Occidental? Sure. I can start off first by talking about um, how Oxy is as a political climate. Um, Occidental has always had political activism be a part of its history. Um, in the 80s and the 90s, it was one of the first colleges that was on the forefront of diversity. In addition, it was one of the first schools um, to include equity in its mission. And in the 60s, um, Occidental was also protesting military recruitment on campus, in which resulted in the administration building being bombed. So we've, we've actually had a long political history. And within the last five years, um, the three movements that have captured um, really the uh, voices of the student body have been the Occidental Sexual Assault Committee, um, Coalition at Oxy for Equity and Diversity, and then also most recently, Oxy United for Black Liberation. Each of the movements are um, intimately related to each other, um, not only through having some similar organizers, but also trying to get at different issues and different in inequities, but are doing it through um, different uh, avenues and also utilizing different resources. Harika, thank you so much for that that history. That's it's really interesting because um, in our isolation from each other, we don't always know the history of um, the student movement across the country. So thank you for for sharing that history. Um, Alma, I'd like to bring you on, and would you talk a little bit about maybe some of the things that happened this last year? Yeah, of course. Um, hi, hi. Thank you for having me. Um, so uh, I've only been at Oxy for one semester now. Um, but during this semester, a lot of things have happened. Um, most notably, as Hariko was saying, the um, Oxy's United for Black Liberation uh, movement took place. And so what really happened there was um, in response to Mizum, Mizum like, made a call uh, to all of the nations across the university to like stand with them and also to um, analyze their own institutions um, for racial inequities. So uh, Oxy had a walkout on November 12th, and it was, like, really well-organized, well-attended. Um, and during that walkout, uh, the president of the university came down to listen to the students' voices. Um, and really, I think um, from that, we, ha we had a list of demands along with the walkout, and um, it really felt like the president and also the administration was not communicating with the students well, was not taking the demands seriously. And um, the president, like, left um, in the middle of the discussion, too. So that really, like, fueled um, the, the, the start of the movement. That's really how the movement started. And um, in Occidental, we, in response to the president leaving, we went to, the, to his office and to his house, which is on campus. 
um, demanding some sort of like meeting or some sort of discussion of the demands that we had made. Um, and then with um, with like little response, the f- the following action was a a week long occupation of the administration building, mm-hmm. um, which kind of ended with um, more discussions with the president and then breaks, um, which is like very difficult to organize through the breaks. Right. So yeah, that's where we are now. So um, Occidental has about what is the population of Occidental? Occidental has a little over 2,000 students, so right now it's like 2,200, and, and it's completely undergraduate. As we were talking earlier about Occidental, you um, shared with us that there were several hundred students um, who were participating in this action or these uh, action and the demands. Can you talk? Can you tell us that story again, please? Yes, of course. Um, this is Hadika speaking again. Um, just to elaborate on what Alma said earlier, um, Occidental College had a national walkout in solidarity with Mizzou in, in which over 600 students um, met in a core part of the campus, a core centralized part of the campus called the Quad. Um, this walkout was uh, designed to highlight and amplify the voices of black students on this campus. So the way that uh, our physical bodies were being represented uh, was through three concentric circles. So the inner circle to centralize the narrative around how black students experience inequity, violence, and microaggressions on campus, they formulated um, the center. And then um, the secondary uh, circle was non-black identified students of color to hold our black peers um, in the vulnerability and also to stand in solidarity because it's a recognition that our oppression is not isolated from anti-blackness. And the third circle was um, white students. This was not only done as kind of uh, to uh, have a change in ideology to show that we are no longer centralizing white supremacy, we're no longer prioritizing white students on this campus, but it was also done um, in a more practical way because we didn't know what was going to happen in the walkout, so we wanted to have a barrier of white students um, to protect us, to protect the students of color um, because it was a very vulnerable space. A lot of different things, a lot of different emotions were happening and um, even to have the president show up and, in many ways threatened our sense of safety, like um, on the periphery of the three concentric circles, there was campus safety, there was a whole host of professors and administrators, so um, all eyes were on us, and we weren't really sure what was going to happen. That's really a powerful image, Harika. Thank you for sharing that. And again, that out of a school of a little over 2,000, that several hundred students were actually out there, and it wasn't just, you know, 25 or um, 50 students. It was much more than that that were actively participating, um, I think is an important statement and to to pay attention to. So thank you again for for sharing that piece. Now we're going to go over to the East Coast again. And in November, students at Ithaca College in New York gathered for a solidarity walkout in support of Mizzou's protests and to draw attention to to the racist environment of their own campus. We'd like to welcome uh, Erica Moriarty, a documentarian and activist at Ithaca College, who became involved in racial equity protests on campus in 2014 when she covered student activities in solidarity with Black Lives Matter movement. And actually, we're going to hear that audio right now. The conversations on this campus are disturbing. They are humiliating. 
They are degrading. They are painful. Ignorance. Do you want to know? Do you have that luxury of not knowing? Because I And again, um, thank you, Erica, for sharing the video that you produced, and welcome to Generation Justice. Hello. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about how the protests and actions unfolded at Ithaca. So at Ithaca College, like Luna was saying about her research into uh, student action on campuses, this has been going on for decades Uh People of color that have come to the school have not felt welcomed and have not felt equal to their peers in the way that they've been treated. Um, So over decades, there's been different protests that really kind of get lost in the conversation because they're either not picked up by mainstream news outlets or they're not, the documentation is not continued in a way that promotes um, conversation that continues. Uh, But I got involved last year as a junior. Um, We started doing different vigils uh, to stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And actually a man in Ithaca, Sean Greenwood, was shot and killed by a police officer uh, when he was unarmed and he was also mentally ill. So that sparked a lot of anger and a lot of frustration. at, the, at police brutality and the ways in which racial violence has been going on around the country. Um, so we started hosting vigils that first started as probably like 10 people, 10 of us standing around and just um, talking about our experiences and different experiences of people of color across the country. And then that vigil turned into the next time there was 20 people there. And then we held a protest um, a couple weeks later uh, about the racial equity on our campus. Um, And it all kind of started with this racial climate survey that had happened in, I believe it was 2010 or 2011. Um, So this racial climate survey happened. Every student was surveyed. Every faculty member was surveyed. But the results of that survey didn't come out until 2015 or last year. So then, and it showed that there was a lot of anger and frustration about uh, the racial climate on campus. So we held this protest to talk about that and to talk about different experiences, which that's what most of the video um, that y'all are sharing the audio of comes from. Um, So we ended up marching to the administration building where the president uh, has his office. And he was asked to come out and speak and address some of the concerns about how students and people of color were feeling on campus. Um, And instead, he didn't really address the concerns, but just said that it was our movement and it was our thing that we were doing and that we were doing great. And so and then the next year that we were still frustrated because it felt like he wasn't doing anything to... um, make the racial climate better. So then this past year, uh, there was a couple events that happened 
that sparked even more fear and anger about this climate. So there was um, one of the fraternities at school hosted a preps and crooks party in which the description for crooks was a stereotype of an African-American male. Um, And none of those students were reprimanded or at all uh, given judicial review for hosting that party. And then we had another event that was hosted by the president of the school that was supposed to be a reimagining of Ithaca College. Um, Not very many students were invited to this reimagining, but there was an alumni panel which had, was all white males and then one woman of color. Um, And the white males on the panel the whole time were referring to her as a savage because she had referenced a savage hunger that she had for education, and then they kept on continuing to call her the savage. Um, So that, and her being the only person of color on that panel, it just showed that her thoughts and ideas were not being um, respected at all. Uh, Following that, there was, or before that, I suppose there was a lot of issues with our public safety at school targeting um, students of color more so than they were targeting white students. Um, so a lot of stories started coming out about how public safety was racially biased. Um, so then over the last couple months, there's been a lot of really great activism and a lot of great organizing going on, which has been primarily led by freshmen and sophomores at the school, which is great because they're going to be the ones that are here for the next four years um, versus us seniors are about to graduate. So they've started organizing things like in the late in late October, we had a protest where nearly 300 students were there and gathered to again, discuss experiences, and we began demanding that the president of the school steps down because he hasn't shown that he can properly address um, the racial climate on campus. And following that, we had, when he tried to address the racial climate and they did, students didn't feel like he was actually properly addressing it, um, students stormed the stage and called again for his resignation. Um, students continued to protest during a new student open house, um, and they stood and told students that were potentially going to go to Ithaca College soon of what the experiences of people of color are. Um, following that, there was on November 11th, nearly a thousand students came and joined in our quad. Um, to stand in solidarity with Mizzou and to also continue to recognize that these things are still ongoing, the same as Mizzou, the same as Occidental at Ithaca College, too. Um, And after that, there was a lot of demand sessions where students, they were like hour-long sessions in which the people leading the movement um, held open forums for discussion and for education. and then on de- from December 7th to the 13th, students have been occupying the administration building, um, sleeping there, spending their hours studying for finals there, uh, and also still demanding that the president resigns, and he still hasn't. Thank you, Erica, for that history and, and for that information. And um, we're going to keep you on the line as well, and we're... Um, going to have a little bit more time to ask you some questions. Okay, great. Thank you, Erica. In this hour, we have spoken to students from Ithaca College, Occidental College, 
and a journalist who researched racial protests to discuss recent movements targeted at institutional racism on university campuses. New Mexico is certainly not without its share of racism. Here at UNM, the Black Student Alliance recently had a march of solidarity and met with administrators to discuss the Black climate here at UNM. Joining us now is Nicole Beatty, a Generation generation Justice member of six years. Nicole is also a Ronald E. McNair scholar and a senior at UNM studying chemical engineering. Uh, Welcome to the show, Nicole. What can you share with us about your recent and past um, experience at UNM? Oh, thank you guys for um, having me this evening. Um, So um, in regards to UNM and the racial climate, um, it kind of just sparked out of like um, past voices had said, like from Mizzou and their call for solidarity. Um, But it just so happened that um, I guess it was public knowledge, but it wasn't necessarily transparent to students. Um, The climate report that was produced in 2011 by President Schmidt here at the University of New Mexico, um, and it discussed the racial disparities that were going on. but yet there wasn't any accountability and a lot of things still haven't been addressed here. Um, and it's 2015. And um, so we decided to hold a blackout here at UNM where at our student union building, we made, um, we disclosed what the black climate was and why things weren't addressed. And from there, um, it, it rippled into a town hall that we had um, in the in the coming days. The town hall was held with a panel of provost and historians at UNM, um, and a lot of students asked questions to see why things weren't occurring, why um, the issues that happened on the climate report weren't being addressed, um, and they kept on referring it back to um, the AFRO, which is African American Student Services. Um, but we feel as though the AFRO shouldn't be held accountable for all black issues at the university that our admins should be held accountable. And then um, we had a a point where student voices needed to be heard, that stories needed to be told so that admin could show there's faces to these stories and there's some type of disconnect. So um, that happened, and our provost spoke to our president stating that, you know, you really need to listen to these students and their voices, and they have a list of demands that um, need to be heard. So um, come finals week, uh, our president opened himself up to us, President Frank, and um, allowed us to have a conversation um, at 4 o'clock on a Wednesday in the middle of finals week, um, And we uh, had 30 minutes to disclose our demands to him and um, address the goals that we would like to see um, as black students on campus and how um, we would like to be served. And, you know, they always want to say that we address, you know, we are diverse because, you know, we're a predominantly Hispanic serving institute. But um, African-Americans and blacks on campus feel as though like we're the minority amongst the minority because they want to always state it up to like a tricultural state. But yet. They want they forget our narratives and gets lost amongst um, other diverse populations. So we definitely wanted our our um, voice to be heard at the time. And so um, further actions came that, you know, now we have a regular meetings set up with our provost. And um, of course, now it's hard to organize over a break. But um, we definitely have things to come and And um, we're definitely looking forward to our upcoming semester. Thank you, Nicole, um, for that history. All right. You are listening to Generation Justice, where tonight we are speaking with student organizers from across the country about racial inequity protests on college campuses. Again, our guests include Luna Olavaria Gallegos from the New School in New York, who recently published an article in The Guardian on the history of race protests on campus. We're also joined with by Harika, Harika Reddy and Alma Olavaria Gallegos, um, both who attend Occidental College. And um, on the phones, we have 
Erica Moyerity, a documentarian and student of Ithaca College, shared her experience of the protests on Ithaca's campus. And Nicole Beatty, a member of UNM's Black Student Alliance, who is representing the UNM experience. So we have just a few minutes that we can um, engage in a broader discussion of your experiences as youth organizers. And we'd like to open up uh, with just a question to anyone who would like to answer, because I think some of you haven't had a chance to really talk about some of the gains. But what do you think is the most important thing about your being involved as a student activist And if you want to share a little bit more of something either that you've learned or that you feel you want to share with others um, who are organizing on their campuses or are trying to figure out how to address racial inequity on their campuses. All right. Well, hi. This is Alma. And I guess from a perspective of a first year, um, I wasn't an organizer, but I was like present during a lot of the movements that happened. And um, for me, it was very important to be part of the movement and to um, be part of the one-week-long occupation um, and listen to the other, listen to the voices of my, like, peers on campus. Um, I learned a lot, especially because the organizers during the week-long occupation provided so, so, so much education. Um in the administration building where we were occupying, we had alumni speak and we had uh, student panels and we had like Dolores Huerta call in and um, we had uh, the LA chapter of Black Lives Matters come in. And so there's just all of these people talking and sharing their stories, um, alumni and teachers and students sharing their stories and personal experiences at Occidental College. And for me, that was important to understand the historical um like the history of that institution. And it was really important for me to understand that uh, our movement was not something that had never, like, been asked for before. Like, our movement uh, that we were taking part in, like, has uh, had similar demands that have been asked for over years and years and years of organizing, um, but that has never been addressed uh, because of uh, the way the institution works or has never been addressed because, like, people leave and move on and then... Um, aren't able to, like, remain in contact with the students. So I think for me it was really important talking with the alum, talking with the current students, and um, talking with the faculty to, like, realize that what we were doing was, like, legitimate and had been legitimate for a very, very long time. When you're mentioning what was asked for, can you talk a little bit, and Erica, I want to bring you into the conversation, and Luna as well. What were some of the demands that were being asked? Mm-hmm. So um, our main demand this year has been that the president steps down, Um, and that was because he has a history of he's done a lot of good economic things for the school in terms of budgeting, and his main call call to fame is that he's had the smallest increase in tuition in the last five years. There's still an increase in tuition, and... um, but his main things are all economic, and he doesn't really have a connection with the students. Um, so we've really been asking for him to step down because we feel that also by a grassroots removal of an administrator puts that power back into the hands of the students and back into the hands of the people. Um, so that's been our main 
kind of goal and demand that still has yet to be met, but we're hopeful that in the coming semester and in the next years that it will have to be. Harika, how does that compare to the demands at Occidental? Um, actually, what Erica said really resonated with me. Um, it seems like the demands uh, between Ithaca and Occidental are, are really exactly the same. The number one demand that Occidental had was the immediate removal of President Veach, exactly for the same reasons. Um, Occidental is functioning uh, like an economic institution, not an academic one that prioritizes the needs and the values of its students. And the only claim to fame that President Veach has is that he's an amazing fundraiser, but there's no transparency around the allocation of money. Um, and money is often being used um, for beautification schemes and renovations. So we're trying to, like, transform the exterior of Occidental but not really do anything at the structural interior level of our campus and how it's functioning. And so that's a fundamental problem. And we get this critique a lot. Okay, so you get rid of President Veach. Who says the next president's going to be any better? And, you know, that's a game that we kind of have to wrestle with. Um, we don't know what the future may hold, but if we feel like we can do a better job, if we feel that we can transform this campus without his presence and he's directly harming and uh, harming the progress of our school, then that, that to me is enough cause for him to be asked to be removed. I guess as a fellow college student, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, like, how do you guys do it? And like, why is it so worth it? To, to continue to fight uh, against these racist ideologies and institutional racism? Um, so this is Nicole. So the reason why I do it is, is that essentially I'm, I'm, I'm about to leave. And um, I graduate next semester, and I definitely want for these for our goals to be addressed and for more to come from it so that we do have um, – some, we do have equity and um, at the University of New Mexico, so that's what drives me. Is that um, my peers from uh, my peers underneath me are able to stand up and be, come in my place, like as freshmen and sophomores, to um, act, be activists and organize themselves so that they're able to have a voice on their campus. Um, but the way we do it is being students and organizers and activists. I mean, it's hard. It's a huge balancing act. I mean, definitely, we don't really have a lot of faculty and support, so. We're here, we're, we're studying, we're organizing, we're staying up late, we're, we're making sure our voices are heard. So uh, it's definitely a balancing act. Erica, I'd like to maybe ask you the same question. Um, so it, the question is, um, how do you balance out being a student activist, keeping up your grades? Some, I'm sure, are also having to work. So mm-hmm. how do you balance all that out? Um, well, it's not easy, <laughs> but I remember especially last year when I was making that video, and this year as I continue to make videos, it's like oh, like none of my teachers let me use it as a project in class, so it's a total another side project. But to me, it's um, being able to use my Latina voice and insert it into the journalism that I'm creating by giving a voice to these movements, and I think that that work is more important than anything I could be making for a class or be making for someone else. So um, it's really just kind of really understanding what you want to do and the kind of work that you want to produce and realizing that this movement is happening all over the country. And even in just having this conversation and hearing all these experiences from everyone else, it like fuels my fire more because 
other students are feeling this way. And I think that sense of community, too, is the driving force behind these movements and students being able to balance all these different things. Luna, is there anything that you want to add to that as you've talked to many organizers across the country? Yeah, I actually did. Um, I think that one of the biggest issues here is student organizers aren't getting paid for this work. So they're doing free work the administrators should be doing um, and just taking up so much time and energy. And it's exhausting work. All of us know it's exhausting work. Um, So that's really, really hard. But at the end of the day, I think because what we see on campus is just a microcosm of our greater society, um, if we are really passionate about our families and our communities and, and people of color being able to progress in society and, and like get an education and 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 have families of their own and have healthy communities if we care about that then we we it's it's necessary to to do this this work um so at the new school it's it's really hard because it's an institution founded on this idea of of activism and, and progress and stuff like that and a lot of the time the school kind of capitalizes on that while not, well, on a systematic level, not really doing the work and still pushing the work onto the students and making the students do the activism and, and, and advoca- advocacy and all that stuff while they have this awesome PR campaign um, and marketing scheme to, to profit off of it. So it's, that's really difficult. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's something that like students are are doing and, and are, are working towards. And I think that's that's what fuels me, like, just to, like, see, like, connect with other students that are doing it and really care about, like, their communities and, and their family and their friends and other people of color around the world. Um, that's, I think that's really cool. And I think that's important to keep in mind that we're not alone. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is that um, – there are students in other countries, and they're working for different things. And something that I thought was really interesting is there's, like, a delegation in South Africa of students of color um, that are actually working towards eliminating um, uh, tuition for indigenous and, and black students. And that's something that I told someone here, and they were like, oh, that's impossible, eliminate tuition for black and indigenous students. But, like, being able to imagine that, like, that's a really beautiful thing, being able to imagine something that, that great, not having to pay to get, to get an education, you know? That is something amazing to imagine. Thank you for that, Luna. Um, I'm just wondering how long each of you have been organizing as students. Um, I've been probably about two, yeah, two years now. Okay. Um, okay, this is Alma. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself an organizer at Occidental, especially looking at all the work that organizers did, uh, of the upperclassmen organizers did um, during the movements. But I uh, have organized at my high school, um, I guess, uh, ever since junior year. I'd consider myself an activist, though. Thank you. This is Harika. Um, I usually tell people that I've been organizing since I was 16, but at Occidental, I've been organizing for three years. Um, this is Nicole Beatty. Um, I believe that I've been organizing since I was like 16, 17, um, but mine has been in a, a totally different mind frame or mind or a set since I'm a I'm a STEMS uh, uh, major. That I've been doing a lot of work around um, healthy education for um, underrepresented communities here in New Mexico. Um, and increasing the STEM initiative. But I would say here at UNM, um, 
just like within the last past two months, definitely getting things going. Luna, Hi, this is Luna, and um, I know I organized with Hottie in high school, and we got in a little bit of trouble. But yeah, I think um, mm-hmm. I've been organizing um, for a few few years now. So, if there, if you were to take something from um, these last few years of your organizing, particularly on university campuses, um, higher education, um, the structural racism um, is very built in. You know, it's it's in the walls, it's in the the mortar, it's in the brick. Um, can you all just share maybe one thing that you think you're going to take away with you? When you look back 10 years from now on this point of your life, what do you think you're going to carry in your heart or carry with you that you're proud of? Uh, this is Nicole Beatty. Um, I would say definitely there's strength in numbers. And this work can definitely not be done by yourself. And always reaching out to those who did it before you. So I know that what we've been doing here at UNM, we've definitely been reaching out to faculty to come to help us to what's our next step, where, what kind of literature can we read to help understand what's really going on here at UNM and, and how can we make um, you know, positive steps and, and progression. So definitely there's strength in numbers. Um, what I would remember is uh, during the occupation of the administration building, uh, there was like, it was very... Um, upsetting at times. There's a lot of vulnerability and a lot of emotion. Um, people were having a lot of discussions around like what we were doing there about um, our experiences on campus. And I think that created a very safe community where people were willing to listen and um, willing to be vulnerable with each other and then um, willing to just like love each other. I think that mm-hmm. community um, is what I'm going to remember most. Do you think you're going to be able to take that with you, like as you as you all move on in your lives? Do you feel like you've developed lifelong friendships because of this shared experience? Yeah, yes, for sure. I I feel like um, I've gotten a lot closer. Uh, I remember a lot of a lot of uh, uh, friends were talking about how that was that um, moment in the AGC in the administration building was a better orientation than our like week-long orientation mm-hmm. that we had to participate in because you really understood the history of the school much better and um, you really did like talk to people on a much deeper, deeper level and like understand who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just just with, more, with more love and compassion in your heart. So, yeah, I definitely think a lot of friendships were formed there. Thank you, Alma. Mm-hmm. Harika? Um, I think there's two things that I took away. One is that I think students, especially student activists, uh, we have to be really in tune to the reality around us that change is not going to happen overnight. It's about having this critical hope that change at Oxy won't happen in the time that I'm there, but there's still nothing stopping me each and every day, being an activist, being an organizer, being a youth educator. Um, Passivity only contributes to the problem and maintains all systems of power. So for me, it's about planting the seed and seeing what it grows into. And that's kind of um, a motto that I use, uh, especially as a youth educator. Um, We want, we always really want change right away, like people transform their lives, transform their actions right away. But it's about planting the ideas, planting the seeds and nurturing them, giving them the right nutrients and then seeing what they transform and grow into. So that's kind of, um, I think, something that I'm going to take away. Thank you. 
Um, Erica, what about you? Um, I think the main thing that I've learned from all these different experiences has been there's something really beautiful in um, creating spaces for dialogue and creating these spaces where people can share experiences in that you're talking to each other and there's this beautiful dance going on where you're uh, telling somebody your story and you're listening to theirs and um, creating those shared experiences, but also realizing that everybody comes from a different experience from your own like they can be similar but they're always going to be a little bit different and there's so much that we can learn from just dialogue with each other and so much from just hearing everybody's experiences and actually appreciating them and then being able to come together and make action and change happen because of those experiences thank you And Luna, what about you? What is it that you think you're going to carry in your heart 10 years from now? Um, At Ithaca College, when we used to protest last year, um, something that one of um, my really good friends, Kobe, used to say a lot, he used to chant, like, he used to, like, lead all the chants because he was so charismatic. But he used to say, like, we have nothing to lose but our chains. Um, And I think that that really resonated with me because – when you are kind of in that mindset that we're doing this for each other and for liberation and and we really have nothing to lose, like that's really what um, fires people up and and makes people really want to like work and do this exhausting work and like um, spend hours organizing and 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 outside in the cold um, because it's really for something greater. So I think that to keep that in mind that like, we have nothing to lose there. We have like, we have nothing to lose. It's, it's all, it's all just moving forward from here. Um, that's something that I think I'm just going to remember for the rest of my life. Thank you so much. Um, all of you. And for that, we're, um, I, I guess what comes to mind for me as I listen to each of you is that there's education and then there's education mm-hmm. and what you're, mm-hmm. what you're gaining um, by the sacrifices that you're making and the additional work and the additional burden that you're carrying to create that change, it's a different kind of education. And so you might not always remember um, the specifics of your psychology exam um, or what you had to like remember to regurgitate, um, or you may not always remember the specifics of the details of the books that you read, and all of the discussions that you've had in your education. But you will remember what it felt like to move from disempowerment to a sense of hope and a sense of belief. And like Luna was saying earlier, imagining that schools could actually have free tuition for the people who whose backs this whole country has been built on. So... You are listening to Generation Justice, and in this hour, we've been discussing racial equity movements across the country with student organizers and leaders from various colleges and universities. We've been speaking with students from the New School and Ithaca College in New York, Occidental College in California, and the University of New Mexico. So the last few minutes that we have available, I'd like to just... um, ask you if there's anything else that you all would like to share, um, last thoughts or 
um, anything else that you feel is really important um, to share with each other or that you want to make sure that is heard? I'm going to start with Luna. Um, I just want to remind student organizers and activists everywhere that um, you're definitely not definitely not alone um and there are people um of all different generations um who have been working on this and will continue to work on this and i think right now it's really important for us to collaborate more than ever and through social media and through real life and just remind each other that we're here for each other and that we love each other thank you um erica um, yeah, definitely. I would love to reiterate what Luna just said and that it's so important to love on each other. Like we are all at different schools and at different places, but we're a part of this collective movement for equality. Um, and it's really important that we start to collaborate. And I'm so excited and honored to get to be a part of this program today and to kind of start that collaboration. And so hopefully students hearing this program or the students on this program, now we can start um, building an even bigger movement and making even greater change happen. Um, so it's a really exciting time to be a student. It's a really exciting time to be living in this country, even though sometimes it seems like, oh my God, are things ever going to change? But um, really, we have a lot of forms of collaboration and a lot of great people working to make that change happen. Um, so I think only good things can come from here. Thank you, Erica. So those were two of our guests from the East Coast, Erica, who is representing uh, Ithaca College, and um, Luna Olavaria Gallegos, who um, is at the New School and um, has been conducting national research. Um, now we're going to move over to the West Coast, and we're going to hear from um, Harika. Any last words, thoughts? Um, last words and thoughts. Uh, this is not necessarily for student organizers, but I think it's for students and students of color across um, the nation. And this is just a quote from Audre Lorde, but your silence will not protect you. And people of color are so intimately connected. It's like, it's almost unbelievable. Right when Luna was saying that line, like, um, you have nothing to lose, but your, your, uh, your chains, like I was thinking the exact same thing. That's a chant. That's a Sada chant. Like that's one of the most powerful connections that we have to each other. So, um, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it just, it resonates with me so deeply. There hasn't been a single time where I haven't heard that line and I like didn't start crying. It just resonates so deeply. So, um, your bonds with other people are so important. So when we say that you're not alone, like it's truly that that's what we mean, like not only across the nation, not only in terms of collaboration, but we all come from a history of resistance. That's really important for us to remember. Thank you. Um, Alma Olavaria Gallegos. Um, I think what uh, one thing that I took away from this is the similarity between what's been happening um, at the school I'm attending and at other universities, and also the similarity of the uh, way that institutions deal with it. Um, I know a lot of times, like, uh, uh, they like either at UNM, like. Uh, suggest meetings, but at the most inconvenient times for students and only with small students that um, 
don't really like represent the entire student body and it's very like unfair or like what happened at Occidental um, was that the like all of the movement is really lost between the breaks Mm -hmm. and the institutions like kind of know this and like play off of it Mm -hmm. and um, try to try to um, just like wait out until the break happens so that they can wait until like the next until the classes graduate and the next wave of students come and then just like wait it out and I think um, some of what Erica said really resonated with that too Um, so uh, I guess I'd want to leave with like a message of perseverance and um, to like keep working and to keep organizing and um, and to like stay united and stay together and keep communicating like Harika said like keep communicating with the different universities and keep telling your stories and like understanding that that what you're asking for is not logical and like and isn't even new so yeah thank you Nicole so what I've been hearing and definitely what I've taken away from this conversation is that like there's so much power in knowing your history and how to like move forward in that and understanding like who has access to power and how power is distributed amongst um, those who do and how much power like as youth and organizers and those who are being educated in these institutions have and and how we're able to make change and even if it's not visible while we're here at these institutions that definitely um, it's worthwhile what we're doing and that it, there there is um, means for change and like you guys said it's like definitely maintaining the love and, and sharing that bond and connection and, and communicating and know that we're as a whole like a community and that we're, we have each other to reach out to and I'm just so grateful for this conversation um, so yeah well um, thank you all of you for the work that you've been doing on your campuses um, and the work that you're doing to create change. And I know that this conversation um, could go on for much longer. Um, There's, you know, as Alma was pointing out, there's similarities that institutions, um, there's tactics that institutions do. And and as, you know, you talk across campuses, across the country, they're the same tactics that you hear. And... um, I, I I would imagine that um, there's associations for uh, university and college uh, administrators where they all come together and they probably meet and learn and um, share and um, kind of figure out what works when they're trying to maintain um, their work, of course, which is um, the, all the positive things of their work, but also maintain probably... Um, that there isn't a lot of resistance going on on campuses. So it'd be interesting to continue this conversation and maybe share some of those experiences at a later date. But I want to thank each of you for the work that you're doing and um, the work that you continue to do. Revolution has so frequently been on the backs of young people, not only in this country, but globally. And... um, Student organizers, as you all have pointed out, go on into the world, and they continue, as Luna was saying, holding um, that dignity for our families and our communities. So the work that you're doing is for the campuses that you stand on, but it's way beyond that as well. So, um, again, I want to thank all of you for the work that you've been doing. Mm -hmm. I just feel so 
um, proud and appreciative of the work that you guys do. Like, as a young black male, I'm frustrated with, you know, turning on the news and seeing a, a black kid just like me shot and killed with no repercussions for the police or anything like that. So um, I appreciate the you guys being in the front lines or documenting and um, doing things through art. There, there was a line in Erica's um, document, um, documentary, like, you can be silent, but silence never changed anything. And you guys are definitely loud and proud and, and out there fighting. And I appreciate the work you guys do. And we're going to hear a little bit more of Erica's documentary in just a little bit. So we've come kind of to the end of our special edition. Uh, yes, we have reached the end of our special edition of Generation Justice. Um, thank you all for joining us in this very important discussion on racial equity um, on our college campuses. We would like to thank our special guests, Luna Olavaria Gallegos, Hari Carretti, Alma Olavaria Gallegos, Erica Moreri, and Nicole Beatty. We also want to thank uh, KUNM's production director, Roman Garcia, for engineering, along with our own Camaria Umi. Roberta Rael, um, our very own Christina Rodriguez, production assistants from George Luna Pena, uh, Kateri Zuni, Tamara Kolaki, and Melissa Harris. And of course, last but not least, we really want to send out our appreciation to all of the young people who make up Generation Justice because truly, without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we do here. Be sure to stay connected with us on our website. You can go to generationjustice.org where you can listen to all of our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, uh, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are also available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe. Of course, we're also active on social media, and so please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Cone Alma Health Foundation, and, of course, all of you who have contributed so much to our project by visiting the website and clicking donate. I am Roberta Rayet. And I am Joshua Horton. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned. And join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Acknowledge the symbolism of this moment, how these candles all have a flame, all have a light. So this light is our life, and someone's trying to blow it out. They're trying to blow it out because of fear, because they don't understand, or just because they think we are different. But we have to remember that we have to keep this light burning. We have to remember that even though our light, all of our lights are different, we all had the same source in the beginning. We all had that one um, light that started all of us. So even though we're coming together as different races, we have to remember what bonds us is the human race. We're human.